this morning we return uh, to our study of the book of Acts. Uh, we have stepped away for a, a time through uh, Christmas and into the new year. Uh, our regular study that we are presently in is in the book of Acts, but we have been away for it for a few months. We're going to come back in for two quick weeks. Uh, so I'll be here this Sunday and next Sunday looking at Acts chapter 8, and then we're going to take a break from uh, the book of Acts, maybe till September possibly, uh, that we will revisit our regular study moving through books of the Bible. This is a book that we are moving through. We're going to move through some quick uh, books of the Bible over the late spring and summer months, and we will probably return uh, there. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to the book of Acts, the eighth chapter. Uh, going to pick up where we left off a few months ago, and uh, we are going to pick up with Philip this Sunday and next Sunday. Uh, we're going to look at Philip in, in, in Acts chapter 8 and consider uh, this gospel going forward. Matt served us well uh, last week uh, in sharing with us the Great Commission, and I'm just kind of on the heels of that, and providentially God timed uh, a couple messages on uh, this gospel going forth to Samaria, uh, to Ethiopians, and to the very ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 8, and I want to begin in verse 3 just for context. Uh, that, uh, Jason read that last time that we did it, but just for context, my text this morning will be from 4 through 25. Uh, let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with... I'm sorry. May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gull of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray to me, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that in just these few moments that your word, the word of God, might speak. Lord, change us. Lord, grow us. Work in us faith and work in us understanding to see the goodness of your character, the glory of your name, the beauty of your gospel, and the calling you place upon our lives to go. And Lord, we will be quick to give you all the thanks and praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is uh, Philip that goes out. And Philip is uh, not the Apostle Philip, but he is uh, Philip uh, that is one of the seven in, in, in Acts chapter uh, 6. Um, uh, they, they had appointed some to care for the needs of the church, Stephen and others, and Philip uh, goes out. And I, just as I was uh, thinking this, just mindful uh, my former church, we used to um, sing a, a, a simple song uh, in our church. We sang a lot of simple uh, songs in our church. We were just kind of like, uh, what a mighty God. We just keep singing the same, what a mighty God we serve, and we just kind of sing it. And uh, uh, this is the day we just uh, sang a lot of very simple songs. Um, but I remember a simple song we used to sing, and a lot of times they would perform it, uh, but a song by Steve Green called People Need the Lord. And some of those groans you understand uh, just people need the Lord. And just mindful that third verse says this, we are called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? It is so, 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 so simple. And it is so, so, so true. And yet it is so, so, so often neglected in my life. We can make our lives about so many things. We, we, we can come and engage in so many different ways, but the simple truth is people need the Lord. At the end of my days, at the end of our days, at the end of my life, and at the end of your life, the only thing that matters is did we know the Lord in a saving way? People need the Lord, not my aid, not my opinion, not my take on things. People need to know God in a saving way. And this is a, a great a purpose that God has for his church, that we would be used of God to take the good news of salvation in, out into our world and proclaim the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. I, I just pause and I just kind of think that I, I have been given such great opportunity. I've known such great blessing and i just think to, to what end to what end has god has shown such mercy and such kindness yes that he would be glorified in my life how as more and more people would come to know the, the lord and, and as, as i i thought about this text that just it was it just seemed to be a a, a simple part that's that's this text that's that's what matters that 
that, that people would, would needs the Lord, that the, that the word would get out. I, I read that third verse because God has ordained persecution. He's ordained suffering with a good purpose. The church was gathering in Jerusalem, and, and the church was to go and to be sent out. Well, how is that going to happen? God would bring, not through evil means, not, God, God's not the author of evil, but that through persecution in Jerusalem, the church would be sent out. And that's what we see taking place in this text. And normal, ordinary people like Philip, a layperson, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but normal, ordinary people like Philip are going out and they're declaring the good news of Jesus because people need the Lord. I want to just lift up a few things from this text this morning. And what I want us to see this morning, just, I want to, just one main theme, one main idea of the text. I want to just briefly say, and I have to be brief, I just want to deal with two issues, two problems that I believe we are confronted with in this, in this text. And I want for the majority of the time just to lean in on three applications. I really, really believe this text would cause us and have us to really lean in on three applications of what, what we read and what we see in this text. So let me begin by just kind of dealing with what is this main idea of this text. And if I had to say there's a main idea, if I just put it in a sentence, this was the sentence that I came up with. The main idea of this text is that Jesus is worthy to receive glory and be proclaimed among all nations. That's what I believe is the main portion of this text. Jesus is worthy to receive glory and be proclaimed among all nations. Jesus Christ is worthy. Jesus is worthy of all my praise. Jesus is worthy of all my adoration. Jesus is worthy of all my days. Jesus is worthy of my living. Every moment of every day, Jesus Christ is truly worthy. And if in my living I have problems and I have sorrows and I have sufferings and I have hardships, and if I have sacrifices and I have even persecutions, Jesus Christ is worthy. He's worthy of my living, and he's worthy of my dying. Jesus Christ is truly worthy. Jesus is that pearl of great price. Jesus is that treasure hidden in a field. He is worthy of me of forsaking all other pursuits, of selling all things to have him and to have him alone. Jesus is worthy. And it's just worthy of our, our consideration this morning and he's worthy to have his name proclaimed among all peoples. A purpose of the church is being established here today. We're doing it. We're to gather. We're to disciple. We're even to attend to the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And we're going to do that this morning. But the great purpose of the church is that we would go and bear witness to Jesus in an unbelieving world. He builds us up so that we can go out and we proclaim the excellencies of him because he's worthy. And I believe as we come to this text, we just see uh, that Jesus is truly worthy to receive glory, and he's truly worthy to be proclaimed uh, among uh, all the aspects and in all the implications of our lives. Many sermons have been preached. Many books have been written. I can't land on there and remain there. But I just wonder deep down, do we see as we would go about the mundane activities of our day that Jesus is worth uh, uh, all that we give and all that we bring, he's indeed worthy. And he's worthy that his name would be proclaimed among the nations. So that is the overall, uh, overarching theme uh, of this text. 
But I want to just go in and I want to just look at two things that we're confronted with here that I believe that uh, we need to wrestle. It was good we wrestled with this first one a little bit in, in Sunday school this morning. Two questions, two concerns. First question is this, does Simon believe or not believe? Does Simon believe or not believe? The heading of my section in the scripture says, Simon the magician believes. Verse 13 says, even Simon believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. After seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I mean, it seems clear enough that Simon was a believer. But I want to say to us this morning that, that not all believing is believing. Not all believing is as unto salvation. Not all believing is a heart of stone that's been made into a fire. Not all believing is a work of God and not just a work of man. We read there in verses 20 on, but Peter said to him, after he asked, could he pay to obtain this laying on of hands so that others could read the Spirit? Listen to what Peter says to him. May your silver perish with you. Wow. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He calls him to repent. Even his repentance is just kind of, pray that this wouldn't happen to me. Not him praying, not him owning it, not him confessing. No godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation. I want to say in this this picture that not all believing is believing and Simon did not believe and it's something for us to kind of consider and we see uh, this again and again in scripture this is kind of what our lesson in Hebrews chapter 6 was uh, this morning and as I kind of think about it in the American church we just kind of we, we lose sight of this this truth and of this reality uh, probably the verse that troubles me the most if I would go to, we didn't mention it this morning that I would go to, would be Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says something. Jesus makes a pronouncement. He says, how about you, Chorazim? How about you, Bethsaida? How about you, Capernaum? Are you going up to heaven? Jesus says, no, you're, you're going to Hades. You're, you're going to hell. Now stop for a moment. Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazim. More miracles were performed in there. There's no sick people left in Chorazim and Bethsaida and in, and in Capernaum because Jesus has healed them all. They've heard his teaching. They've been exposed to him more than anyone else has been exposed to him. Surely these people believe in Jesus. And yet Jesus says, are you going to heaven? He says, no, you're going to the depths of hell because you never repented. It is going to be more tolerable for Capernaum for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for Capernaum because you did not repent. And it just kind of causes us to stop and we need to realize and we need to see in texts like this and in other texts of the Bible, not all believing is believing. And there's many in, the, in our country and there's many in our spheres of relationship and there's many in the church where there's believing, but there's not true believing. I know Carol and I sat in some Sunday school classes many, many years ago, and ones would share 
Uh, I just like to think of Jesus this way. When I think of God, I just like to think of God this way. And I think in many ways that kind of captures their believing. They, they believe in a God of, the, of their own making. They believe in a God of their own thinking. And, and they don't believe in the, in the God of the, of the Bible. And just good for us to see and good for us to be reminded that not all believing is believing. And Simon, while even my heading say that Simon the magician believes, he did not end believing in a saving way. That's the first issue of concern I want to address. More, much more could be said. Second would be this. What do we make of Peter and John laying on hands and believers receiving the Holy Spirit? That just seems kind of out of order. These, these people believe and they're, they're baptized, and then at a later time, John and Peter come in, there's laying on of hands and a receiving of the Holy Spirit. And I would just quickly want to say that I would, I would put this in the category of uh, something that would be special. This is not something that would be normative, if you would, in the church. But there was a reason, there was a purpose God had for this to take place. And I believe there's a purpose for Peter and John for this to take place. I believe there's a purpose for the church back in Jerusalem for this to take place. There's a reason for the church in Samaria for this to take place. And I believe it would probably be rooted maybe like in Ephesians 4. There, there is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one spirit. There is one body. There is one God and Father of us all who is in all and through all and is all. Ephesians 4 tells us. And Peter and John are coming to lay on hands and affirm what is going on because for them, the gospel is finding out in the first place the gospel lands is Samaria. And for John and Peter to see that we are one church. We are fellow partakers of the grace of God. We are now partners in the gospel. There's not many churches. There's not many faiths, it's one faith, and Samaritans are believing, and we are one with the Samaritans in faith in Jesus. And Peter needs to know that, and John needs to know that, and you need to take that back to the church in Jerusalem and say, there's believers in Samaria, and the church is being built up, one church is being built up around the world, and Samaritans are believing, and we're one with them in faith in Jesus. So that's just something that we kind of see here, not second baptisms and other things that we would go. So much to be said, much that we would stretch the scriptures, much where the church has been kind of divided in understanding this. But we see in this a sense of God unifying his church and giving uh, the, 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 the guidance as far as we being one church before God and fellow partakers together. So this Pentecost kind of that comes in Samaria. It's not Pentecost, but it's this, this coming of the Holy Spirit on these believers in Samaria uh, is something uh, that God is doing uh, to unify his church and, and, and bring harmony among the believers in his church. So two concerns I think we had to kind of see in the church. Now let me, let me land on these three outworkings, three specific applications that I believe have come from this text that we can maybe look at briefly this morning. And I want to encourage you with these. Matt stood before us, and we had the Great Commission last week. Uh, all authority on heaven and earth is mine, Jesus says. So Jesus has all authority, and what does he commission his church to? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's the word we had last week. And Matt exhorted us, and Matt shouts, I want to keep pressing in on even some of maybe the practical applications of that good word in our lives. And I want to do that by looking at Philip. 
I want to look at what he did and how that might speak to us and to our lives. And I want to say three things this morning. And And I can't say as much as I would like to, but three things that I would like to say. The first is that I believe Philip was called to go to unlikely places. I believe we're called to go to unlikely places. Secondly, I believe we're to go among unlikely people. We're called to unlikely places, to be among unlikely people, and thirdly, to do unlikely things. I want us to see that from the text this morning. God has called his church to go to unlikely places, to be among unlikely people, and to do unlikely things. Let's see this in the life of Philip. My text in in, in verse 5 says this, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip was called to go to Samaria. The the gospel first goes to Samaria. First recorded place in Scripture that the gospel goes is Samaria. I I read at the call to worship this morning from Acts chapter 1. You will receive power in the Holy Spirit, Jesus' words. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Amen. You'll be my witnesses in Judea. Amen. You'll be my witnesses in Samaria. Whoa, what? Samaria. And to the end of the earth, Jews have animosity and hatred and disdain towards Samaritans. Not, not even Gentiles here. We're talking a specific batch of, of folks, the, the Samaritans. And, and, and they had roots in Judaism. It was the ten tribes that went out, and they're, they're kind of half-breeds, and they've mingled, and there's cultic worship, and they have an idea of Messiah. They use the first five books of the Old Testament, but there is just great hatred. Jesus would tell a story, and the hero of the story would be a good Samaritan. Not the Levite, not the priest, but the good Samaritan. That's just kind of abhorrent to the Jewish mind and to the Jewish heart. Jesus would tell about, we, we read in the scriptures about him healing 10 lepers, and only one comes back, and that one that came back to offer thanks was a Samaritan. And it's just, we have no ability to comprehend just how offensive and how, how awful that would be in the mind of a Jewish person. Jews would not even travel through Samaria. Philip went to unlikely Places And I believe God calls us to go to unlikely places. In 1991, I, I met a man for five minutes, and I was invited to go to Russia. In 19, I met him for five minutes on the front porch in Pittman. And I went to Russia for three weeks. And, and Russia back then, it was Cold War, post-Cold War kind of stuff, and, and nuclear arms races, and America hated Russia, and Russia hated America, kind of like today, where there's a lot of hatred and animosity between Russia and America. And God called me to go to a country that just opened up, and I spent three weeks there. And my life was radically, the, the, the trajectory of our lives were radically transformed by three weeks that I spent. And God did things. I was an immature, I knew nothing. And God used me daily just sharing the gospel on the streets and, and calling people to faith in Jesus Christ and to turning from their sins. And God did an amazing work and change. He, 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 I said yes to something on a porch for five minutes. And that led to a whole bunch of other yeses. I find myself in Russia, and I find the trajectory of my life being changed. Last Friday night and last Saturday night, I sat and had dinner with the Wallingtons. These are incredibly ordinary people. 
I would say that with them here. There, there's nothing special about Kirsten and Jeff Wallington and their family. They're just really ordinary people. And they've spent six years in Southeast Asia, and they're going back now for another four years in Southeast Asia. And Kirsten was asked on Sunday night, or they were asked, Jeff was asked on Sunday night, he says, really, how did we get there? Kirsten just started, he says, I just want to lead a group of girls uh, in our house, a home, a study on, on, on cross-cultural missions. And they said eight months after we started a study with some women, on, we had any thought of going cross-culturally. Eight months later, we are in Southeast Asia. They said yes to a Bible study in their home, and eight months later, they are living in Southeast Asia. Ordinary people that just said yes to something. And that led to other yeses, that led to other yeses, that led to other yeses. The homes here this morning? Where are they? What's that? Oh, they're away. Okay. But I just think of the homes. The Holmes family, I do use them off to my right. So I, Aaron, I saw Aaron, but the Holmes family has gone to Guatemala for a, a 10 plus years, I believe. At some point, they just opened themselves up to something. And, and for the last 10 plus years, they've been going every summer to Guatemala. It was just a yes that led to other yeses that led to lesses. And they would tell you of the profound blessing they have known. They would tell you of gospel advances that have taken place in Guatemala through simple folks like them. Jim's leading a team of 15 that are going to be going to Guatemala to Chichi again this year. People just signing up for a week to go to Guatemala and just, Lord, do whatever you got to do in me and through me, and, but, but for your glory. And 15 people just kind of saying yes that could lead to other yeses, that could lead to other yeses. My daughter Joanna said yes to an opportunity internship at Chichi in Guatemala with a Celsi. She's going back again this year. She said yes. Bob is going and, 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 and Chuck are, are going to Nepal uh, in the summer. High mountains, far travel, awful just a yes. See, God takes us to unlikely places. And, and we see that in Philip. And I, I just want to lean in with you this morning. How, how about you? Where, where might God be calling you to go to unlikely places? How about neighborhood? How about really considering there are people in my neighborhood, most of them I don't even know, and maybe God this summer is just calling me to start a Bible study. There are people in your neighborhood that maybe could care less for God, could care less for the Bible, but have never been invited to a Bible study. And just you're putting out an invitation that people would come, and you'd have three people sitting in your room. I heard Tiles and some other people could bear witness. No one's ever talked to me about the Bible. I don't know what the Bible's even about. But there's a lady in my group, there's a man in my neighborhood that wants to do a Bible study, and I'm thinking about going. How about a coffee shop? I know you know struggling people because we're all struggling. And, and they're just a struggling person that's in your sphere of relationships, and you just feel you need to bend in a little bit more. You're just not able to get that conversation going in, in the neighborhood or at a ball field or whatever. Could we meet in a coffee shop for just a couple weeks, maybe read a book together? And maybe just talk about faith and just talk maybe... People maybe have never been invited. They've never been asked to do something like that. How about a prison? I know Dave Rue, I know others have done prison ministry. It sounds so daunting, it sounds so intimidating. I can tell you, my former church, we would go once a month to Salem County Correctional Facility, and I would take a, a guitar player, and these, these 60 guys would raise the roof. No one sang like these 60 guys would sing, and then I'd get up and preach, and they just, they were already yelling. They were yelling at me. I would come home so flying high, from speaking in a prison. Now, I know a lot of guys there were cutting deals and doing stuff they ought not to be doing. There's a lot of guys that were hanging on every word that I was saying. 
Have we ever considered going to an unlikely place in, in, in Jesus' name to share the good news? How about just getting to know some people? How about just picking up a book like this, Pray for the World? This is a book from Operation World. And just opening this up, I just opened up to Brazil. And we would take five or ten minutes a couple days a week, and we would get to know about some people someplace else. Our world would begin to enlarge it, even if it's only emotionally or maybe financially or prayerfully. At least we're going to go somewhere. I do need to say this. I don't want to say it in an angry thing. We trivial, we, our time is just given away so easily. We sit and laugh at little images on our phones, and we just trivialize time. It's so small, and it's so temporal. And if we would just take a few minutes and open ourselves up to what God is doing in the world, and we would start emotionally investing in people, and I just have Brazil open, and maybe thinking about financial, reallocating some finances to where some gospel work is taking place, because I got exposed to it in this book that I was reading about. Maybe we start praying, and God starts giving us a burden for some people who have no access to Jesus. I, I just believe God is... is, is, is is calling us to, to go to unlikely places. And you say, Jeff, I'm in a season of life. I can't get out of my own kitchen. I got you, girl. I know, brother, that it is. But I believe it's a, it's a global gospel. And God's calling all of us to participate. And sometimes it's going uh, to unlikely uh, places. And I just want us to be uh, open to that uh, this morning. So, so... Philip goes to um, unlikely places. And he um, goes to uh, unlikely people. So he goes to unlikely places and he ministers among unlikely people. And I do believe faithfulness to Jesus is going to mean more and more time with unlikely people. I don't think it was location for Philip. Going to Samaria and, and the, the geography and the, um, uh, just kind of the, the food and everything of Samaria, I don't think was the problem for, for Philip. He, he didn't hate the place. He hated the, the people. They didn't believe what he believed. They were uh, the most offensive maybe to what he believed. Um, he was even sent to people like, like this Simon, all right, this magician, this sorcerer. Think about this for God. This guy is demonic. This guy has everybody in the region captive. He has deceived them. He has blinded them. They, 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 the word of God uh, says he, this man is the power of God that is called great. Simon was sent to Samaria to be among Samaritans and to be among sorcerers and to be among magicians. Talk about being out of your comfort zone. Uh, he's dealing with strongholds and principalities and powers in the spirit of God. All Philip's walls are kind of coming, crashing down. All his prejudices, all his biases are, are coming down as he's dealing with these people in uh, Samaria. And I wonder, are, are we seeking ways, looking for ways to go among some unlikely people? I was reminded, uh, a yogi, uh, I preached on, on Good Friday and uh, I uh, got down to the bottom of the steps. I was welcoming some people on the way out the door. And uh, uh, Yogi brought two friends that she had invited out. They kind of come for the Good Friday service, but they had kind of come to hear me preach because they heard me preach in Camden about 12 or 15 years ago. And they got down the steps, and they couldn't wait to get to me. 
I remember when you came to my church and you preached in Camden. And I remember every moment of that worship service. I, I remember. And we hugged and we talked and we kind of shared. And you just mentioned the word Camden. I'm just being real. And, and all we think of is crime, and drugs, and all the reasons why we shouldn't go there. And I went by myself. I normally go with somebody. I went all by myself to Camden that Sunday. And I got to tell you, I had seven guys back yelling louder than I was. There were pastors and elders and deacons standing behind me, and they were shouting and hollering at people in front of me. It was wonderful. These people had a compassion and a love for Jesus and a grace. I just believe faithfulness is going to call us uh, to go and to dwell and to minister uh, among some unlikely people. I think there were 30 of us, I think, that went down to Vineland. I had a friend, and we went down to a, a, a multi-ethnic, multi-diverse congregation down there, and about 30 of us from Joy went, and 25 of us went out to dinner afterwards, and we were just, that was so rich. That was so wonderful. That was such a wonderful, it really was. And I believe God nudges us out to see the blessing of being among other people. I'm just sharing personal stories. I'm just trying to stir you to think this morning. My former church, we had a migrant ministry on Tuesday nights. Probably not a great name for a ministry, but that's what it was. It was, it was a migrant ministry. It was Spanish-speaking guys who came up from uh, Mexico, and they worked all summer in the peach orchards uh, over on Route 77 in Bridgeton. And we had a migrant ministry. They were, they were less than a mile from our church. And on Tuesday nights, I, we would take a grill out there. We'd do hamburgers and hot dogs. We'd give them dinner. We'd talk to the manager. No one speak, spoke English except the manager. No one spoke English Everything was in Spanish. The Bible study was in Spanish. The music was in Spanish. Everything was done in Spanish. But our church just kind of backed it. I'd be there every Tuesday night just flipping burgers and flipping hot dogs and smiling a lot because I couldn't say anything. They spoke. Everything was in Spanish. And I'd sit at the Bible study, and I just was kind of listening to a Spanish Bible study. And it's good to sit in a Spanish Bible study and not know what's going on, but just know God's doing things. And they're asking questions, and their Bible's open. Most of them are Roman Catholic. Their Bible's open. They're asking questions about Jesus. And I just wonder, do, do, we, do we know anybody that speaks another language? They don't speak English well. Do we shy away from people like that? Do we know a Muslim person? Have we done anything to begin to engage someone of another religious faith? I know Ben shares with me about the Jewish community. Do we, do we know someone that's, that's Muslim? Do we know someone that is um, that is? Um, campuses <laughs> hindu uh do, do, do we seek out someone and, and and build relationships and not just i talked to somebody the other day but but i'm really intentionally trying to build a, a bridge uh, to get to know uh this person i'm just trying to lean in and ask are, are we just content to spend most of our time if not all of our time with people who are pretty much just like us um, ethnically, financially, socially, we, we just spend and we insulate our lives with people who are just like us. And I believe there's an adventure out there that God would have us to be walking with him on. It's not just glorious and splendor and easy. It's hard. But I believe this, this adventure, this great work that he spoke of, he go and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you always as you're going and making disciples and interacting with people who aren't like you in places that you're not familiar with. Yes. Yes, and, 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 and yes. An assisted living facility. 
Would you just go into an assisted living facility? There probably is dementia, and there's probably other things that are going on, and just get to know some people in a season of life, and maybe a study, maybe just to sing songs. I've sung songs. I've led song services. A lot of you are just, what would that have been like? In assisted living facilities, I've been called to preach, and then I find out I'm also the worship leader. All right? I got through it. No one died. No, one was, no one's faith was hurt. You can do it. But sometimes we just need to go among people that aren't necessarily like us. I, I, I went out Easter Sunday morning, and um, I went out to, uh, uh, I don't know what I was getting on Easter Sunday morning, but I was out on Easter Sunday morning. And I drove downtown, and I came to an intersection that's usually busy because of the college. And I got to the intersection. There was no one at the intersection. And I was reminded, oh, it's Easter Sunday morning. And I was like, oh, the, the students aren't even here. So I was like, yeah. Um, because just sometimes it is, it's just wearying. They're just kind of, so there was no students there. And just before the light changed, I look around and saw three groups of people and all three of them very ethnically diverse. And it immediately just kind of got to me. I'm just, these people can't go home because they don't have a home, maybe even in the United States. They're foreign students. They, they don't look like we look. They probably speak with a very thick accent. They're here for school. They've got nowhere else to go. They've got nothing else really going on. I know we've talked in missions, Dick, many times about, do we even think about engaging people like this? They might love to have an American supper at someone's table. They come to college for four years and never went in an American home. No one ever opened a door and just invited them. They might love to tell you about their religion. They might love to hear about yours. They might. Thanksgiving dinner, Easter, Classes are done. There's nobody kind of there. Is it, is it on our grid? I just want to stimulate. I just want to challenge you. I want to exhort you. Is it even on our grid to consider uh, uh, praying and, and inviting? I know a lot of things would have to happen. It would be a difficult thing. Oh, Jeff, it's just really easy. Just pull up to some strangers in your car and say, hey, you want to come to my house for dinner? I know, and I get it, right? I don't have to go to Afghanistan. I don't have to go to Iran. There's students here a mile away. I just have to have them over for dinner. It might be awkward. But I believe what a tremendous blessing. Philip went, was sent to unlikely places. He lived among unlikely people. Lastly, he, he did unlikely things. P Peter did, uh, Philip did some very unlikely things. We, we read about miracles uh, in, in, in the scripture. Um, but, but I believe that Philip was among these people for a considerable time. And, and if, if Peter, for, for the word to get to Peter and John and for them to finally get there, he had to at least spend some weeks in Samaria. He slept there, he ate there, he, he, he spent a fair amount of time there. And I gotta got believe he adorned the gospel. I gotta believe that Philip, this man was full of the spirit, he was, he was of good repute uh, with the people. I gotta believe he adorned the gospel. I believe there was a sacrificial love to everything that Philip did among these Samaritan people. But I believe the unlikely thing was this, he spoke the word of God to them. There are many acts of service. There are many acts of love to do. But, but what we read again and again in the text is that he, 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 he loved them by giving them what they need most. And, and I believe that the source of any discussion of love is a sacrificial on our part. We have to give something up on our part, and we have to, we have to benefit someone to give them what they need most, what would most bless them. And for them to come to know Jesus, because people need to know the Lord, Philip spoke the word of God to them. Verse 4, those scattered preached the word. Verse 5, Peter, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, he spoke God's word to them. And I just feel as a church, we've in ways become silent. I'm not condemning those being faithful, very, very faithful things. I, even in my office many times, the loudest person in my office is saying some of the most bizarre stuff. And no one shuts them down and no one's quiet. I'm like, why is the most bizarre person tend to talk the most? And we actually have truth to offer. God changed my heart through the proclamation of the gospel. Someone told me about Jesus and he radically transformed my heart. I've seen it happen in thousands of people's lives and I stay silent. I don't love people and give them the thing that they need most. And that comes through words and through proclamation. Let me close on this. More than that, uh, Peter would come down and he would call this um, Simon to repentance. And I just believe that when we consider uh, what is people's best earthly good and what people's best eternal good is calling people to repentance and faith. Conversion is not just people believing on Jesus. Conversion is repenting, acknowledging, I'm not okay on the inside. This world is broken. The problem is sin. Me and God aren't okay, but I'm in rebellion against God, and I need to repent. I need to confess that, and I need to turn to Jesus, who has provided everything for me in the gospel, grace and forgiveness and eternal life by believing on his name. The, the, the most unlikely thing we do is opening our mouths and calling people to repent of their sin and to believe on Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to speak on next week with the Ethiopian eunuch. But I want to just remind us of that. Great humanitarian aid, great serving. We want to, to adorn the gospel and put on love. But what we see in this text, he went among, I, went to unlikely places. He, 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 dwelled among unlikely people, and he did unlikely things. It's become unlikely for us to share the hope that we have with Jesus. And I just want to nudge you this morning to consider that. Who in our spheres of influence, who in our relationships, who in our neighborhoods, who in our communities, in our places of work, and how might that yes lead to other yeses that we would even be finding ourselves opened up to calls like Kirsten and, and Jeff of just starting a study and allowing that to be taking young children and that leading to God taking us places, yes, even to the ends of the earth because brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is worthy. He is worthy to receive all power and glory and strength and dominion. We're gonna sing it for all eternity because it's true. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive glory and honor and wisdom and power and might Jesus Christ is worthy as I pray this morning I pray that you would take this in the spirit that it was given be encouraged allow God to do a good work in us as we would examine our lives I have to ask what is, am I giving all my time and energy to and might God be kind of stretching me and challenging me to consider ways in which I can be used of him to go to some unlikely places and, and get along some unlikely people and begin to do some unlikely things not for my sake and not even for the sake of the person to whom i go but for jesus sake might god work that increasingly in our lives let's pray together uh, father we thank you for how you meet with us over your word and we thank you for ways that you encourage us 
ways that you instruct us, and even ways that you lovingly admonish us and confront. Lord, I know these past weeks as I've wrestled with these texts, I see the inconsistencies in my life. I see the many trivial matters and concerns that consume my thoughts and my heart and my life and my time and my energy. And Lord, I ask in me that you would just graciously begin to show me ways, um, Lord, that you want to work out greater kingdom matters in and through my heart and in my life, and you would work in our lives to increasingly show us ways that you've called us to go to people who are not like us, to places that are unfamiliar to us, and to do things that maybe we're not ultra comfortable doing. But you've, adorned, you've appointed means by which people may be saved, and it's fully a work of you. But you send your church uh, to go and make disciples and proclaim the gospel. Lord, increasingly would you do that in our hearts and in our lives for your glory. And Lord, we'll give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.